Okay, so this morning we're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes 2. <clears throat> and it's going to be 1 through 11. And this is kind of going to be a, a part 1 of 2, because uh, next, next week we'll look at the rest of chapter 2, and some of it overlaps. And uh, some of it overlaps with chapter 1, which is what we've already looked at, so I'll touch again on that as it, as it comes about. But uh, this morning, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. It says, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure, so enjoy yourself. And behold, it, it too was futility. I said of laughter, it is madness, and of pleasure, what does it accomplish? I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine, while my mind was guiding me wisely, and how to take hold of folly, until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven, the few years of their lives. I enlarged my works, I built houses for myself, I planted vineyards for myself, I made gardens and parks for myself, and I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself, from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and had home-born slaves. Also, I possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Also, I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men, many concubines. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done, and the labor which I had exerted, and behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. So last week, we looked at the first pursuit of, of Solomon, which was wisdom. We saw from Scripture that the pursuit of wisdom, when pursued for godliness, is a good pursuit. However, when the pursuit of wisdom is divorced from the fount of wisdom, who is Christ, it is no longer a good pursuit. Men become fools. Men become idolaters. Wisdom is not found in the reason of the natural man. Any wisdom that the natural man possesses is a gift of God. It is given to us freely from God, and it's part of his mercy toward man. What many men do is pursue the gifts of God and neglect God himself. And I said that man would rather have what God has created and not God himself. Give me the creation, give me the good gifts, the good pleasures, but not you. That is the natural man. But we also notice that wisdom, the wisdom of the natural man, isn't gold. It is a fool's gold. It may look wise externally, but upon closer inspection, it is fake. It is not real because it is not for the glory of God. The same with philosophies, the philosophies of men. Any philosophy that man makes may look wise externally, but on upon inspection, 
we find that it is lacking because it does not glorify God. Thus, any philosophy of man, for the, for the chief end of, of man is the pursuit of wisdom, is truly vanity. So that's what we looked at last week, the pursuit of wisdom, the vanity of that pursuit, if not done for um, the glory of God, for our sanctification. But much of what we talked about last week also applies to this week, and we're going to see that as we go through Ecclesiastes. This is the main theme of Ecclesiastes, the vanity of man and his pursuits. But this week we're going to be looking at the pursuit of pleasure and possessions. See, the, the underlying issue of the man being addressed in Ecclesiastes is thinking that the, the temporal pursuits that, that we pursue are of eternal significance. And that's why Solomon continues to belabor the point that these temporal pursuits that, that we go after, these pleasures that we chase, are vanity. They're transient. They're, they pass away. And if you remember from, I think it was my first Sunday school lesson, I talked about how it's like trying to grasp air. You put your hand out in front, you put your hand out in front of yourself, and you try to grasp air, and you just can't grasp it. It just keeps fleeing from you. That is what Solomon's getting at. The vanity of man chasing after things that, that don't have eternal significance. This morning he's going to deal with passions, with pleasures, possessions. The pursuit of, of pleasure is a good pursuit if pursued correctly. Solomon here tries to find uh, satisfaction in both. Solomon, Solomon moves from last week internally to externally. You have the internal pursuit of wisdom and now the external pursuit of pleasure. And he really did attempt to find pleasure in both. And when I say that, I mean he's, he's attempting to find something that will truly soothe the soul, that will satisfy him, that will give him long-lasting contentment on earth. He was a man who was not content, a man who had everything and not content. So he has moved from wise men seeking wisdom to the garden seeking pleasure. And I've mentioned this a few times, but if there ever was a man who had anything he wanted, especially as it pertains to possessions, it's Solomon. I mean, he had everything. But, you know, that can really be said about us as well. Maybe not to the extent of Solomon, and I do mean it generally. There are people who are in need, for sure, but we are a very privileged people in America. We may not have everything that we want. We may still desire some things, but we typically have more than just about anyone else in the world. We have food. We have shelter. We have cars and land and books and gadgets galore. We have so many things. And as you've heard Pastor Hines say often, these are not things that are owed to us. We don't do anything to deserve these things. They are freely given by God. But what we often do is we focus on the things we don't have. 
And we work with all of our might to acquire those things, thinking that those things will finally be what will satisfy us. We think that thing will be enough, so I will pursue that thing. And what do we find over and over and over again? It does not fulfill us. These pursuits cannot fulfill us. So like last week, I asked, is the pursuit of wisdom sinful? And we looked at scripture and we found it is not sinful. It is a gift of God given to man that we are to be wise. What about possessions here? Is it sinful to have possessions? Is it sinful to indulge in pleasure, to, to have pleasure? No, it is not sinful to experience pleasure or to have possessions. Look here at Solomon's testimony. It was God himself who gave to Solomon abundantly. Remember what Solomon asked for. Solomon asked for wisdom so he could lead the people of God. And that was such a, a good ask to God that God said, I will give you wisdom, but I will give you so much more. These things are not sinful unless they are pursued in a sinful way. So we dare not say that possessing things are sinful. But what about pleasure? Is it wrong to find things which satisfy you, which make you happy? Certainly not. However, the moment these things are sought apart from God, they become idols, and then they become heinous pursuits and vain pursuits. So before we look at the text this morning, I was, I was trying to think of different philosophies that have arisen throughout history uh, that have this attitude, this mindset. First, you have hedonism. What is hedonism? It is a, a worldview that suggests pleasure is the highest good and the proper aim for human life. We exist to do what pleases us, what makes us happy. That is what we should pursue, our greatest happiness on earth. Whatever makes us happy, whatever gives us a sense of relief in our lives, that is what we should pursue. That is hedonism. And hedonism really traces back to the Garden of Eden. Eve was convicted by, or convinced of the serpent's lies. She looked at the forbidden fruit and she ate it. Why? It was a delight to her eye. She sought pleasure in that. She did what she wanted to do. She sought her own happiness what she thought would give her happiness. And so many cultures have embraced this type of philosophy, and they have all gone extinct. It is not a philosophy that can sustain. It's all about maximizing pleasure, minimizing pain. But the problem with that, though, is that apart from Christ and his law, what are the guardrails of such a worldview? You have arbitrary moralism. Whatever man says is right. I never thought of it this way as I was studying this, but R.C. Sproul suggests the logical end of hedonism is tyranny. I thought, that's strange. Why is it tyranny? 
Well, he said, perhaps I can maximize my pleasure only by maximizing your pain. A hedonistic worldview cannot consistently condemn me, since, after all, I am just seeking my pleasure. So, so what he's saying is that if there are no guardrails, if, if there is no absolute standard, then why shouldn't I pursue whatever makes me happy, even if it's to your detriment? Thankfully, there are so few men who truly believe that, who are truly consistent with that. God does restrain the actions of men so that they cannot run rampant over his creation. And just people aren't consistent with their worldviews because the moment a hedonist gets his wallet stolen, because another hedonist wants to maximize his own pleasure in gaining more money, what will the first hedonist do? You can't do that. That's not fair. And to which we will say, by what standard? Why is it not fair? So even the hedonists realize that there are guardrails on these things, yet they don't have a reason why those things exist. Second, you have the materialists. Materialists place a very high value on possessions over spiritual things, over spiritual values. If all that exists in this life is matter, then the spiritual aspect of humanity doesn't matter. Therefore, we should strive to amass wealth, possessions, anything that we want. And you'll see a lot of these philosophies are very much intertwined. Why not pursue these things? This experiment has been tried over and over and over again in history, and it's tried here by Solomon. But from hedonism, from materialism, from all the other isms, flows death and wickedness. Well, why is that? Why is it that these things produce wickedness and death? Because they're bankrupt. Because they have no standard. They recognize there is a standard, but they live as if there isn't one. There is no reason that we shouldn't steal from others to increase our pleasure, according to the worldview. But all of these things, all the, the philosophies of men that we're going to look at as we go through this, lead to futility and to death. It cannot lead to anything else because it's not real. It's fool's gold. So looking at the text this morning, he says, Solomon says, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself. And behold, it too was futility. Solomon here gives himself to the pursuit of pleasure. Whatever he sees under the sun, he will not deny himself. He will pursue those things. Everything is at his disposal. Notice that he is resolute in his pursuit. He says to himself, come now, to himself, come now. I will do this. I will chase these things. I will chase pleasure. I will endeavor to enjoy myself. He pursues all of his heart's desires. And, of course, what does he find out? We're told immediately. It is futile. It is vanity. 
it is chasing after the wind. He is not satisfied with what he has gained. For indeed he cannot be. In verse 2 and 3 he says, I said of laughter, it is madness. And of pleasure, what does it accomplish? I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely, and how to take hold of folly, until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under the heavens the few years they have in their lives. So he speaks here of, of the good times of, of his pursuit, this pursuit of pleasure. He speaks of the good times that it has produced. It's brought him laughter. He really did enjoy parts of this experiment. However, what he realized quickly is that they're empty and hollow. The laughter didn't last. The laughter didn't fulfill him. We must not mistake that Solomon condemns laughter or pleasure in and of itself. Rather, the condemnation is against those things being the proper foundation for life. If your pursuit is to just always be laughing, that is not a good pursuit that can fulfill, or, or whatever that it is that makes you happy, that is not a good pursuit apart from Christ. And this is, this is what he did. He went after these things. And Jay Adams really uses a good illustration here of what I think Solomon intends to express. He says it's like watching a late-night TV show, you know, where the, you know, the host comes out, and he makes jokes, and the audience is intended to laugh, right? The host comes out, but are the jokes really that funny? I don't know. Sometimes. Most of the times, they're not really that great. But laughter is piped into the studio, and then there's the big light that pops up that says applause, right? Or it says laugh, and then the audience applauses, or the audience laughs. But usually you can tell there's some sort of cheapness or thinness to it. It's like, it, it doesn't feel like real life. It feels so artificial. Take it uh, for another example, a, a sitcom. I don't know if any of you have seen any videos online of, of sitcoms with the laugh tracks removed. It's, it's really uncomfortable. <laughs> Most of the time, the comments that are made, apart from the laugh track, it's really obnoxious and rude. It's like, that's not funny, but because they put the laugh track in there, we all laugh and we all, we all think it's funny. But the, really, they're ribs at each other. Not really that funny, but we're told to laugh. And I think this is kind of what Solomon is, is pointing out about the thinness of, of pleasure for the sake of pleasure. It's... It's like a, again, it's like a fool's gold. It, it can't satisfy the soul. Solomon continues that he drank wine, which gladdens life, according to Psalm 104. He did this in wisdom, and I think what he means by there is he wasn't a drunken mess. He drank wine as a wise man. There's nothing wrong with drinking wine, and I'm sure he didn't get his wine from the Flying J or a different gas station. He had good wine. So it's not like the wine that he had just wasn't it. But again, 
it could not satisfy his soul. But Solomon's experiment for the pursuit of, of pleasure and possessions truly wasn't lacking. To quote Jay Adams again, he says, the good things pursued for their own sake rather than enjoyed as the byproduct of godly Christian living tend to mask the hollowness of the inner life of a person who does not fear God. They also clutter one's mind and misdirect the heart so as to mitigate the finer inclinations he may have. So again, the problem is the pursuit of these things, good things pursued for their own sake. When that happens, what does that do to us? It masks our hollowness. We can be deceived by them, not realizing that there's something more. Why do people pursue pleasure? Because there is a recognition in all men that something is missing within themselves. There is something missing. But whatever it is that man pursues will always leave him lacking, or often make it worse. Men and women who pursue strong drink to fulfill themselves are destroyed by it. I've had many family members who have walked this road where they have drank themselves to death in the pursuit of feeling something that they didn't have. They tried to fill it with pleasures of life, and it ruined them. Thus is the pursuit of man when, pursued, when, the, when he pursues these things apart from Christ. We're looking at verses 4 and 11. Now Solomon will describe his pursuit of pleasure by increasing his possessions. So you had pleasure just for pleasure's sake. And now you have possessions intending to please him. He says, I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself, and I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself, from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had home-born slaves. Also, I possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Also, I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men, many concubines. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done, and the labor which I had exerted. And behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there is no profit under the sun. Again, he says, I withheld nothing from myself. I afforded myself everything. Any possession you can think of, I had it. You have in verses 4 through 6, he talks about the increase in, in buildings and 
agriculture. In verse 7, he had the increase in his household and livestock. In verse 8, he increased in wealth, music, and physical pleasure. And in verse 9, he increased in power and fame. And in summation, in verse 10, kind of as a catch-all, he says, and all things were mine. So it's almost like he lists all these things, anything that you can think of, and he says, and everything else I had. So I had everything. There really is kind of a contrast here between Solomon. You think of Job. Job had a lot of things, didn't he? And he lost everything. And eventually he found his contentment in the sovereignty and providence of God. And that is what Solomon is learning here, right before our eyes. There's such a good link between Job and Solomon here. Except Solomon didn't lose all that he had, like Job. But yet what he realized is that these things are fleeting. I cannot be satisfied by them. He learns the same lesson by a different road. But he says here, these pursuits were done in wisdom, which means this pursuit, apparently he never lost the ability to, to always have that kind of in the back of his mind that this is not fil- fulfilling me. This is thin. There's some shallowness to this pursuit. And I, I imagine that as he pursued all these things, the Lord continued to impress upon Solomon that this will not satisfy you. You know, the Lord will not abandon his people. When we pursue these things, he will continually remind us, this isn't going to do it, Ryan. This isn't going to do it. You're looking in the wrong place. Now, as we look at some of these uh, pursuits, some of these possessions, are they sinful? Is it wrong to have a house? Is it wrong to have two houses, three houses? Is it wrong to have a boat? Is it wrong to have multiple cars? Not per se. It is not sinful to have money. It is not sinful to build yourself a house or to buy a boat. It is not sinful to enjoy music or to save money. It's not sinful to be well known. It's not sinful to do any of these things. All of these things can be good and beneficial. You think of R.C. Sproul. I'm very thankful that he became well-known because he has taught generations of men and women the gospel, right? It is not a bad thing to be well-known. They can be good and beneficial. Yet the issue, as it will be with every pursuit of Solomon, everything that he pursues, everything that he describes in the book of Ecclesiastes, the issue is when these things become idols in our lives, we are destroyed by them. When we pursue the creation just for the pursuit, they will destroy. They will not satisfy. They cannot satisfy. We will come to ruin. Think about how many times here, I don't don't know if you picked up on it. Let's look back through 4 through 11. How many times Solomon uses the word I or myself? 
throughout these verses. It's everywhere. Look at verse 4. I enlarge my works. I built houses for whom? Myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. And I planted all kinds of trees, right? I bought male and female slaves. My house grew for myself. I collected for myself silver and gold. All throughout this passage, he says, I did this. And then he says, I did this for myself. He is a little preoccupied with himself in these passages. Though he, did, though he could see that these pursuits could never satisfy his soul, he was absorbed in his own pleasure. I, myself. His focus was incorrect. Again, what does our Westminster Shorter Catechism teach us? What is man's chief end? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. What's Solomon's focus here? I, myself. Not God. Not neighbor. I, myself. Was his focus on the pursuit of loving his neighbor? No. It was to please himself. In this pursuit, his goal was to please himself. It was not to love God or love his neighbor. And to quote Jay Adams for the last time today, when a good activity is carried out for oneself and when it so dominates the life as to exclude a lifestyle of loving God and loving one's neighbor, those activities become sinful and therefore will turn out to be frustratingly vain. The empty meaninglessness of them will ultimately frustrate those who devote themselves to these activities rather than to God. So what Jay Adams is saying here is that the pursuit of oneself, to, to have pleasure as the highest pursuit, to have possessions as the highest pursuit, when it is not targeted for the glory of God or the good of your neighbor, will frustrate you because it is vanity. It cannot soothe the soul. So let's, let's summarize this and try to think of some applications. Solomon pursues both pleasure and possessions, continually finds them lacking. Just like Solomon, humanity, us, also, we also make the same mistake as Solomon. And we pursue pleasure and possessions thinking that it will fulfill us. Thinking that that's what we need to be finally happy. That our soul can finally rest. That we can stop chasing after the next thing. It is this thing that I must get and it will solve my issues. That is vanity, and that is the ultimate frustration of man. This is the philosophy of men. Any man-made philosophy, all of the ones that we're going to look at, it's all going to go back to this central idea of man finding his own happiness, his own purpose, or his own pleasure. Every single philosophy of man that is the goal, and every single philosophy of man cannot provide that answer. 
It is only through Christ that we know how we can be fulfilled. All of these things, all of these philosophies asks the same question. What can satisfy the heart of man? These are vain questions and vain pursuits. Because apart from God, humanity cannot answer these fundamental questions. No matter how hard we try, no matter what we pursue, no matter how much time we have to pursue them, no matter what we lay our, our hands to or our hearts to under the sun, they cannot fulfill us. What we will find is pursuits that will never satisfy the soul. And they will frustrate us and perplex us. No man has ever amassed more than Solomon. Certainly not us. So why are we so susceptible to thinking that we know better about these things? I don't have as much as Solomon. Solomon had everything. And he pursued these things with things I'll never have. Why, will I, why would I think that I know better than Solomon here? That, no, he didn't do it right. I can do it. This is what will fulfill me. Solomon didn't do it right. He didn't have everything. He did. And he pursued everything, and it never satisfied. Lastly, let's talk about the pursuit of pleasure as a whole, and possessions for that matter. Again, last week I said the pursuit of wisdom, when done for the sake of godliness, for God's glory, for our sanctification is a good thing. It's important for us to pursue. It gives us the ability to live godly lives to, and to discern what is true wisdom and false wisdom. We need to be wise so we can determine what is truly wise and what is fool's gold. And what you have in a lot of these philosophies, even in hedonism, there is a, a splinter of wisdom but it's mixed with loads and loads of folly. Is the pursuit of pleasure a good thing? Well, it depends. Dr. Sproul remarks, in, er, in part, Christianity is about the pursuit of pleasure, but this pleasure is one that is defined by the transcendent God. How can man be pleased? By loving God and doing what he commands. That is how you will find satisfaction. That doesn't mean that everything will go right on this earth. Everything may go wrong. But if that is our pursuit, that is a godly pursuit. And it really is only with a renewed heart that we can find pleasure and joy. The unrenewed heart cannot have these things, which is why we should have great, great pity on those around us who are not born again. And we should tell them the gospel so that they can truly find rest for their souls. Again, Augustine, the heart is restless until it rests in God. We must tell people of the joy that they can have if they would come to Christ, lay down their burdens, and follow him. It is only with a renewed heart. I think of texts like Psalm 1611. You have David expressing his delight in the Lord. David is just bountiful right now in, in his love for God, and he's ecstatic in, in, in who God is. And he says, speaking of God, you will make known to me the path of life. 
In your presence is fullness of joy, and in your right hand pleasures forevermore. So where is joy, and where is pleasure? It's in the Lord. And, you know, it's not just joy and, and pleasure. You know, that would be good enough if, if David would have said, in you is joy and pleasure. But that's not what he says. In you is fullness of joy. It is like an, an abundance of joy. It's like trying to hold joy, and it just keeps flowing out of your hand. It's just it's so much. And pleasures forevermore. It's like it's like going outside and looking, and you're seeing pleasures everywhere. And it's just you think it ends at the next hilltop, but then you get to that hilltop, and there's more pleasure there. In Christ, fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. What ought to satisfy our pursuits of pleasure? Christ. It is only Christ that can. When the Lord saves us, he gives us a new heart that seeks to make much of him. And in that pursuit, we can have fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. That is where we will find pleasure, not in the things of this earth, not amassing wealth. Again, wealth is not a bad thing. Housing is not a bad thing. These things are good things. But if that is where your pleasure lies, you will be frustrated and complex perplexed because it cannot fulfill you. It was never designed to fulfill you. And it is a kindness of God that it can't. Because when we're not fulfilled by these things, we're always reminded, no, these things can't fulfill us. Even as Christians, when we chase after these things, the Lord constantly reminds us, look unto me. Look unto me. Fullness of pleasure fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Look unto me. Pleasure, possessions, cannot soothe us. You're not going to find it in possessions or by being self-indulging. You're not going to find it by amassing for yourself all that your eyes see. It will only be found in Christ. So we have to examine ourselves. Why do we do the things that we do on this earth? Why do we do it? If we're looking for a new job, why are we looking for a new job? Do we think this is going to satisfy us? We think this is going to please us? Or will it help conform us to the image of Christ? What about when we go to the store, we go to Bass Pro Shop and we look at all those boats? Those are nice boats. We go there and look at them. Why do I want to buy this boat? It's not wrong to buy the boat, but we must test our hearts. Why do we do things in this life? And again and again, Solomon's going to remind us through, the through his investigations, through looking at all these philosophies, test yourselves, find contentment in Christ, which is the point of the book. He's saying these things will pass away. Look to Christ. Do we have any questions or comments?
everybody's struggle is that uh, it's not all the temptation. Absolutely right. I'm, I'm so thankful for God's long-suffering and his patience. Because I think of myself as a father. Sometimes I get very impatient because of my child, won't you learn? <laughs> it's like, I'm trying to teach you something. And then I do the very thing, same thing God continually reminds me not to do. And I keep doing it. And unlike an ungodly father sometimes, he is never an ungodly father. He always brings us back to the fold. He always reminds us, son, this is not the path that you need to walk. That's how he talks to us, sons and daughters. We are sons and daughters. But he is very kind. Anything else? Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for being able to read Ecclesiastes, and uh, we pray that you would impart wisdom upon us not to pursue the things of this this life, the, the pleasures and possessions that are fleeting, but that our ultimate pursuit would be your, your holiness, your godly, or your, uh, to, to make much of you and to make little of us, to glorify you, to love our neighbor, and to do what you would have us to do in this life. We pray that you would prepare our hearts and minds for worship this morning, help us to be uh, attentive, uh, help us to uh, glorify you, uh, help us to enjoy you this day. In Christ's name we pray, amen.